section seventeen of a compendious history of english literature and of the english language volume one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox org a compendious history of english literature and of the english language volume one by george lilly Craik, chapter two part eleven latin historical works of the thirteenth and fourteenth centuries notwithstanding the general neglect of its elegancies and of the habit of speaking it correctly or grammatically the latin tongue still continued to be in england as elsewhere the common language of the learned and that in which books were generally written that were intended for their perusal among this class of works may be included the contemporary chronicles most of which were compiled in the monasteries and the authors of almost all of which were churchmen the chronicle of roger de wendover hitherto existing only in manuscript and in a single copy has now been published in the greater part by the rev henry o cox for the english historical society under the title of rogeri de vendover chronica siwe gloris historiarum five volumes octavo london eighteen forty one to forty four portion omitted is merely the first book which contains the space from the creation to the commencement of the christian era and is abridged in the floris historiarum bearing the name of matthew of westminster together with the first four hundred and forty-six years of book second in which there is equally little that is peculiar or important the remainder of the narrative comes down to the year twelve thirty five the nineteenth of henry the third and is very valuable an english translation by dr giles of so much of roger de wendover's chronicle as has been published by mr cox makes two of the volumes of bond's antiquarian library london eighteen forty nine wendover who was probably a native of the place of that name in buckinghamshire became a monk and precentor in the benedictine monastery of st albans and died prior of belvoir in a cell of that house on the sixth of may twelve thirty seven he has compiled the earlier portion of his work from bede marianus scotus some of the byzantine writers malmesbury florence of worcester henry of huntingdon and the other best and most reputable of preceding chroniclers and in a very workmanlike manner mr cox holds him to be quite as good a writer as matthew paris whose more celebrated history is down to the point where that of wendover ends copied from him with few alterations and those mr cox declares mostly for the worse even in point of expression mr cox vindicates the claim of wendover to the authorship of the portion of the chronicle bearing his name which has been thus transcribed by paris in answer to some remarks by mr hallowell in the introduction to his late edition of brishanger's chronicle of the baron's wars the most celebrated english historian of the thirteenth century however is matthew paris who was another monk of the same great monastery of st albans 
and was also much employed in affairs of state during the reign of henry the third he died in twelve fifty nine and his principal work entitled historia major the greater history begins at the norman conquest and comes down to that year matthew paris is one of the most spirited and rhetorical of our old latin historians and the extraordinary freedom with which he expresses himself in regard especially to the usurpations of the court of rome forms a striking contrast to the almost uniform tone of his monkish brethren nor does he show less boldness in animadverting upon the vices and delinquencies of kings and of the great in general these qualities have in modern times gained him much admiration among writers of one party and much obloquy from those of another his work has always been bitterly decried by the roman catholics who at one time indeed were accustomed to maintain that much of what happened in the printed copies of it was the interpolation of its protestant editors this charge has now been abandoned but an eminent catholic historian of the present day has not hesitated to denounce the narrative of the monk of st albans as a romance rather than a history on the ground of the great discrepancy which he asserts he has found between it and authentic records or contemporary writers in most instances when he could confront the one with the other the historia major of matthew paris was first printed at london in fifteen seventy one under the care of archbishop parker and it has been republished at zurich in sixteen o six at london under the care of dr william watts in sixteen forty at paris in sixteen forty four and at london in sixteen eighty four all these editions are in folio an excellent french translation by m a hoyard brehoya has lately been published under the superintendence or at the cost of the duc de luignes in nine volumes octavo paris eighteen forty to forty one with a few notes by the translator but without the introduction by the duke promised on the title page at least in the only copy of the work that has fallen in our way an english translation by dr giles makes three of the volumes of bond's antiquarian library to the edition published by dr watts and those that have followed it are appended some other historical pieces of the author and there also exists in manuscript an abridgment of the historia major drawn up by himself and generally referred to as the historia minor the history of matthew paris was continued by william rishanger another monk of the same abbey whose narrative appears to have come down to the year thirteen twenty two the fifteenth of edward the second although no complete copy is now known to be in existence and only the earlier part extending to the death of henry the third a d twelve seventy two has been printed it is at the end of watts's edition of matthew paris rishanger is also the author of several other historical tracts one of the most curious of which his chronicle of the baron's wars preserved in a single manuscript with the title of debellus lus et evesham has been printed for the camden society under the care of mr james orchard hallowell 
quarto london 1840 to wish anger's narrative mr hallowell has appended a collection of miracles attributed to simon de montfort from another manuscript in the cotton library what is commonly called the chronicle of john brompton and is printed among the decum scriptoris pages seven twenty one to twelve eighty four under the titles of chronicum johannes brompton and yorlenensis historia a johann brompton abate yorwalensi conscriptor has been shown by selden in his most learned and curious preface to that collection not to be either the composition of brompton or in any sense a chronicle of yorwalla or yarravo of which monastery in yorkshire brompton brompton or brampton was abbot the book was merely procured for the library of that house while he presided over it and probably through his means it does not appear from selden's account when brompton lived but he has proved page forty one that the chronicle must have been written in or after the year thirteen twenty eight or the second of edward the third at the commencement the author intimates that it is his design to bring it down to the time of edward the first but it terminates with the death of richard the first a d eleven ninety nine having set out from the conversion of the saxons by st augustine it is not therefore in any part of it a contemporary history but the writer has gleaned from some authorities which we do not now possess and he gives many details which have not elsewhere been preserved among the other latin chroniclers of this period whose works have been printed the following are the principal thomas wykes or wyke in latin wikius canon regular of osney near oxford whose chronicle otherwise called the chronicle of the church of salisbury fills from page twenty one to page one hundred twenty nine of gales scriptoris quinque and as there printed extends from the conquest to the year thirteen o four although it is afterwards intimated page five ninety five that the last ten pages of it are by another hand walter hemmingford or as leland calls him hemmingoburgus a monk of gisborough in yorkshire the portion of whose work extending from the conquest to the year twelve seventy three being the first three books was printed by gale in the same collection pages four fifty three to five ninety five and the remainder comprehending the reigns of edward the first edward the second and the first twenty years of that of edward the third by hern in two volumes octavo at oxford in seventeen thirty one and the whole of which has been edited by mr h c hamilton for the historical society in two volumes octavo london eighteen forty eight robert de avesbury register of the court of the archbishop of canterbury whose history of the reign of edward the third historia de mirabilibus justus edwardi trace which is esteemed for its accuracy but comes down only to a d thirteen fifty six was published by herne in octavo at oxford in seventeen twenty nicholas trivet whose clear and exact history of the reigns of stephen henry the second richard the first john henry the third and edward the first or from a d eleven thirty five to thirteen o seven is printed in both editions of father darcheres spicilegium sixteen seventy one and seventeen twenty three and has also been published separately by anthony hall in octavo at oxford in seventeen nineteen and as edited by mr t hogg for the historical society octavo london eighteen forty five 
adam murimuth whose short chronicle extending from a d thirteen o three to thirteen thirty seven along with a continuation by an anonymous writer to thirteen eighty was printed by hall as a second volume to his trivet in seventeen twenty one and has also been edited for the historical society by mr hogg eighteen forty six henry de knighton or knitton as he himself spells the name a canon of leicester the author of a history of english affairs from the time of king edgar to the death of richard the second which is printed among the decum scriptoris pages twenty two ninety seven to twenty seven forty two and the two ecclesiastical historians thomas stubbs and william thorne the chronicle of the acts of the archbishops of york to a d thirteen seventy three by the former of whom and that of the abbots of st augustine's monastery at canterbury to thirteen ninety seven by the latter are in the same collection pages sixteen eighty five to seventeen thirty four and seventeen fifty three to twenty two o two the original latin polychronicon of ranulf or ralph higden monk of st werburgh's in chester which ends in thirteen fifty seven still remains for the greater part in manuscript only the portion of it relating to the period of english history before the norman conquest having been published by gale among his scriptoris quindecum pages one seventy seven to two eighty nine but an english translation of the whole by john de trevisa who was vicar of berkeley in gloucestershire towards the close of the fourteenth century was printed in folio at westminster by caxton in fourteen eighty two at the same place by winken de word in fourteen eighty five and at southwark in fifteen seventeen and again in fifteen twenty seven besides many insertions caxton has added a continuation of the history down to fourteen sixty but it appears that he has also omitted several passages which are found in trevisa's manuscript now in the harleian collection john forden the earliest of the regular scottish chroniclers also belongs to the fourteenth century his history entitled scotta chronicon beginning with the creation comes down only to the end of the reign of david the first a d eleven fifty three but is continued by walter bower abbot of inchcombe to the death of james the first a d fourteen thirty seven the materials for the space from eleven fifty three to thirteen eighty five having been collected by forden portion of the scotch chronicon actually written by forden being the first five of the sixteen books was printed by gale among his scriptors quindecum pages five sixty three to seven o one and the whole was published by herne at oxford in five volumes octavo in seventeen twenty two and again by walter goodall at edinburgh in two volumes folio in seventeen fifty nine the most important of the monastic chronicles belonging to this period which has been preserved is that called it does not appear for what reason the chronicle of lanercost it has now been printed for the bannatyne and maitland clubs under the superintendence of mr joseph stevenson quarto edinburgh eighteen thirty nine before this it existed only in one or two very incorrect modern transcripts and in a single original codex the cotton manuscript five hundred and seven where it is appended without any break to an imperfect copy of what is printed by saville as hovedon's history hovedon ends on the reverse of what is numbered as folio one seventy two of the manuscript having filled from folio sixty six inclusive the continuation or lanercost chronicle goes on in one handwriting to the end of the volume on the reverse of folio two forty two 
the time which it comprehends is from eighty twelve o one to thirteen forty six mr stevenson thinks that it was transcribed about the latter date from the contemporary register kept most probably in the minorite monastery of carlisle as printed it fills three hundred and fifty two quarto pages and it abounds in curious and valuable information relating to the course of events both in england and in scotland during the period over which it extends use and study of the latin and greek the hebrew and other oriental tongues latin was also for a great part of the thirteenth and fourteenth centuries the usual language of the law at least in writing there may indeed be some doubt perhaps as to the charter of john it is usually given in latin but there is also a french text first published in the first edition of dacheri's specilegium sixteen fifty three to fifty seven twelve five seventy three etc which there is some reason for believing to be the original an attentive critical examination of the french and latin together says mr luders will induce any person capable of making it to think several chapters of the latter translated from the former and not originally composed in latin yet the capitula or articles on which the great charter is founded are known to us only in latin and all the other charters of liberties are in that language so is every statute down to the year twelve seventy five the first that is in french is the statute of westminster the first passed in that year the third of edward the first throughout the remainder of the reign of edward they are sometimes in latin sometimes in french but more frequently in the former language the french becomes more frequent in the time of edward the second and is almost exclusively used in that of edward the third and richard the second still there are statutes in latin in the sixth and eighth years of the last mentioned king it is not improbable that from the accession of edward i the practice may have been to draw up every statute in both languages of the law treatises bracton about twelve sixty five and flata about twelve eighty five are in latin britain about twelve eighty and the merar de justice about thirteen twenty in french latin was not only the language in which all the scholastic divines and philosophers wrote but was also employed by all writers on geometry astronomy chemistry medicine and the other branches of mathematical and natural science all the works of roger bacon for example are in latin and it is worth noting that although by no means a writer of classical purity this distinguished cultivator of science is still one of the most correct writers of his time he was indeed not a less zealous student of literature than of science nor less anxious for the improvement of the one than of the other accustomed himself to read the works of aristotle in the original greek he denounces as mischievous impositions the wretched latin translations by which alone they were known to the generality of his contemporaries he warmly recommends the study of grammar and the ancient languages generally and deplores the little attention paid to the oriental tongues in particular of which he says there were not in his time more than three or four persons in western europe who knew anything it is remarkable that the most strenuous effort made within the present period to revive the study of this last-mentioned learning proceeded from another eminent cultivator of natural science the famous raymond lully half philosopher half quack as it has been the fashion to regard him it was at his instigation that clement v in thirteen eleven with the approbation of the council of vienne published a constitution ordering that professors of greek hebrew arabic and chaldaic should be established in the universities of paris oxford bologna and salamanca he had more than twenty years before urged the same measure upon honorius the fourth 
and its adoption then was only prevented by the death of that pope after all it is doubtful if the papal ordinance was ever carried into effect there were however professors of strange or foreign languages at paris a few years after this time as appears from an epistle of pope john the twenty second to his legate there in thirteen twenty five in which the latter is enjoined to keep watch over the said professors lest they should introduce any dogmas as strange as the languages they taught many additional details are collected by wharton in his dissertation on the introduction of learning into england he is inclined to think that many greek manuscripts found their way into europe from constantinople in the time of the crusades robert grosthead bishop of lincoln he proceeds an universal scholar and no less conversant in polite letters than the most abstruse sciences cultivated and patronized the study of the greek language this illustrious prelate who is said to have composed almost two hundred books read lectures in the school of the franciscan friars at oxford about the year twelve thirty he translated dionysius the areopagite and damascinus into latin he greatly facilitated the knowledge of greek by a translation of suidas's lexicon a book in high repute among the lower greeks and at that time almost a recent compilation he promoted john of basingstoke to the archdeaconry of leicester chiefly because he was a greek scholar and possessed many greek manuscripts which he is said to have brought from athens into england he entertained as a domestic in his palace nicholas chaplain of the abbot of st albans surnamed gricus from his uncommon proficiency in greek and by his assistance he translated from greek into latin the testaments of the twelve patriarchs grosthead had almost incurred the censure of excommunication for preferring a complaint to the pope that most of the opulent benefices in england were occupied by italians but the practice although notoriously founded on the monopolizing and arbitrary spirit of papal imposition and a manifest act of injustice to the english clergy probably contributed to introduce many learned foreigners into england and to propagate philological literature bishop grosthead wharton adds is also said to have been profoundly skilled in the hebrew language william the conqueror permitted great numbers of jews to come over from rouen and to settle in england about the year ten eighty seven their multitude soon increased and they spread themselves in vast bodies throughout most of the cities and capital towns in england where they built synagogues there were fifteen hundred at york about the year eleven eighty nine at bury in suffolk is a very complete remain of a jewish synagogue of stone in the norman style large and magnificent hence it was that many of the learned english ecclesiastics of those times became acquainted with their books and language in the reign of william rufus at oxford the jews were remarkably numerous and had acquired a considerable property and some of their rabbis were permitted to open a school in the university where they instructed not only their own people but many christian students in the hebrew literature about the year ten fifty four within two hundred years after their admission or establishment by the conqueror they were banished kingdom this circumstance was highly favorable to the circulation of their learning in england the suddenness of their dismission obliged them for present subsistence and other reasons to sell their movable goods of all kinds among which were large quantities of rabbinical books the monks in various parts availed themselves of the distribution of these treasures at huntingdon and stamford there was a prodigious sale of their effects containing immense stores of hebrew manuscripts which were immediately purchased by gregory of huntingdon prior of the abbey of ramsey gregory speedily became an adept in the hebrew by means of these valuable acquisitions which he bequeathed to his monastery about the year twelve fifty 
other members of the same convent in consequence of these advantages are said to have been equal proficients in the same language soon after the death of prior gregory among whom were robert dodford librarian of ramsey and lawrence holbeck who compiled a hebrew lexicon at oxford great multitudes of their books fell into the hands of roger bacon overbought by his brethren the franciscan friars of that university the general expulsion of the jews from england did not take place till the year twelve ninety in the reign of edward i but they had been repeatedly subjected to sudden violence both from the populace and from the government before that grand catastrophe last age of the french language in england the french language however was still in common use among us down to the latter part of the reign of edward the third it is well remarked by pinkerton that we are to date the cessation of the general use of french in this country from the breaking out of the inveterate enmity between the two nations in the reign of that king higdon as we have seen writing before this change had taken place tells us that french was still in his day the language which the children of gentlemen were taught to speak from their cradle and the only language that was allowed to be used by boys at school the effect of which was that even the country people generally understood it and affected its use the tone however in which this is stated by higdon indicates that the public feeling had already begun to set in against these customs and that if they still kept their ground from use and want they had lost their hold upon any firmer or surer stay accordingly about a quarter of a century or thirty years later his translator trevisa finds it necessary to subjoin the following explanation or correction this manner was much used to fore the first morn before the first moraine or plague which happened in thirteen forty nine in his sith some deal somewhat e changed for john cornwall a master of grammar changed the lore learning in grammar school and construction of from french into english and richard pencrit learned that manner teaching of him and other men of pencritch so that now the year of our lord a thousand three hundred four score and five of the second king richard after the conquest nine in all the grammar schools of england children loveth french and construeth and learneth in and in english and haveth thereby advantage in one side and disadvantage in another uh, her their advantage is that they learneth her their grammar in less time than children were wont to do disadvantages that now children of grammar school cunneth no no more french than can her lift knows their left heel and that is harm for hem them and if they school past the sea and travail in strange lands and in many other places also also gentlemen have now much left for to teach her their children french a few years before this in thirteen sixty two the thirty sixth of edward the third was passed the statute ordaining that all pleas pleaded in the king's court should be pleaded in the english language and entered and enrolled in latin the pleadings or oral arguments till now having been in french and the enrolments of the judgment sometimes in french sometimes in latin the reasons assigned for this change in the preamble of the act are because it is often showed to the king by the prelates dukes earls barons and all the commonalty of the great mischiefs which have happened to divers of the realm because the laws customs and statutes of this realm be not commonly holden and kept in the same realm for that they be pleaded shewed showed and judged in the french tongue which is much unknown in the said realm so that the people which do 
plead or be impleaded in the king's court and in the courts of other have no knowledge nor understanding of that which is said for them or against them by their sergeants and other pleaders and that reasonably the said laws and customs the rather shall be perceived and known and better understood in the tongue used in the said realm and by so much every man of the said realm may the better govern himself without offending of the law and the better keep save and defend his heritage and possessions and in divers regions and countries where the king and the nobles and other of the said realm have been good governance and full right is done to every person because that their laws and custom be learned and used in the tongue of the country yet oddly enough this very statute of which we have here quoted the old translation is in french which whatever might be the case with the great body of the people continued down to a considerably later date than this to be the mother tongue of our norman royal family and probably also that generally spoken at court and at least in the upper house of parliament Ritson asserts that there is no instance in which henry the third is known to have expressed himself in english king edward the first generally he continues or according to andrew of wintoun constantly spoke the french language both in the council and in the field many of his sayings in that idiom being recorded by our old historians when in the council at norham in twelve ninety one to two anthony beck had as it is said proved to the king by reason and eloquence that bruce was too dangerous a neighbour to be king of scotland his majesty replied par le sang de dieu vous avez bien enchanté and accordingly adjudged the crown to balliol of whom refusing to obey his summons he afterwards said ah ce for volant de folie fait s'il ne vous venir à nous nous viendrons à lui there is but one instance of his speaking english which was when the great sultan sent ambassadors after his assassination to protest that he had no knowledge of it these standing at a distance adored the king prone on the ground and edward said in english in anglico you indeed adore but you little love me nor understood they his words because they spoke to him by an interpreter king edward the second likewise who married a french princess used himself the french tongue sir henry spelman had a manuscript in which was a piece of poetry entitled de la foi edward le fils roi edward la chanson qu'il fit mesme which lord oxford was unacquainted with his son edward the third always wrote his letters or dispatches in french as we find them preserved by robert of avesbury and in the early part of his reign even the oxford scholars were confined in conversation to latin or french there is a single instance preserved of this monarch's use of the english language he appeared in thirteen forty nine in a tournament at canterbury with a white swan for his impress and the following motto embroidered on his shield hey hey the white swan by god's soul i am thy man lewis beaumont bishop of durham thirteen seventeen understood not a word of either latin or english in reading the bull of his appointment which he had been taught to spell for several days before he stumbled upon the word metropolitis which he in vain endeavoured to pronounce and having hammered over it a considerable time at last cried out in his mother tongue set pour dit par saint louis il ne fut pas couti qui sets paru ici escri the first instance of the english language which mr turwit had discovered in the parliamentary proceedings was the confession of thomas duke of gloucester in thirteen ninety eight he might however have met with a petition of the mercers of london ten years earlier rolls of parliament three to twenty five the oldest english instrument produced by rymer is dated thirteen sixty eight seven five twenty six but an indenture in the same idiom betwixt the abbot and convent of whitby and robert the son of john bustard dated at york in thirteen forty three 
is the earliest known End of section seventeen